guys, welcome back to the Back Yourself Show. This week on the show, we have Hamish Bly. Hamish is the founder of an incredible payments app called Trillo. And what they do is they're essentially just making it as simple as possible for people to make payments and they're giving people rewards for doing so. Now, I'm not going to talk about it. He knows the business better than I do. So Hamish, welcome to the show. Tell me a bit about yourself. Imagine on a first date, how did you get to where you are right now? Thanks, Thomas. Started off way back um, when I was at uni. I managed to get the furthest north um, university in the whole of the UK. I somehow ended up in Aberdeen. Aberdeen? Yeah, Aberdeen. Were, were you, were you going to do something in oil? Yeah, I, I did geology. So I studied geology. Which oh, is, obviously. It's th- literally the only reason that anyone ever goes to Aberdeen exactly. is for that purpose. And I mean, it's, yeah. it's directly relatable to, to tech. I mean, there's just, you've got, you've got oil and then you've got fintech. I mean, it just kind of comes hand in hand. Um, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I mean, right. absolutely awesome place. You've got the beach, you've got the mountains um, and I, I Baltic weather is so freezing. Okay, great. Okay, good. Okay, so you went there and you're at uni. And did you get into the bug there? Did you get into the entrepreneurial spirit? Yeah. So I've I've always I've always loved tech. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm a gamer at heart, and I I love anything to do. I mean, I that, that's one of the reasons why I first kind of pinged you about state state stuff. Um, and I've 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 always loved it. I've always followed all all, all things in, in that sphere. And my my dad actually, when he was at university, he started the business as well. So I've always kind of known about that whole side of starting businesses and, and doing something um i think it quite, kind of coincided quite nicely me starting my first business when i was at uni with the oil crash because i think if i had stayed in in geology there's not that much happening there at the moment in the job space um, right yeah sure but no i was i don't know have, have you seen the film kingsman yeah who hasn't it's great so, so I was I was watching that, and there's that scene where um, Samuel L. Jackson he makes this whole phone, mobile network uh, to take over the world and, and kill everyone, but by giving them a free contract. And I was kind of like, okay, great idea. Maybe leave out the killing bit, but a free contract. Let's see what we can do with that. Um, and so set about, God, I was how I was about twenty then, uh, trying to figure out what on earth mobile mobile networks were and, and getting that going. And spent about two two and a half years figuring that out and and having a world of fun. It is uh, the, te- the telco space is an amazing space, but it's uh, very wait wait sorry sorry chill out for a second there Hamish. This is um you you've skimmed over this a bit quick. So wait so you were at uni you're twenty twenty or something and you're like I'm just gonna make a mobile network. Yeah, so I kind of I was watching the film and I was like okay that's that's quite a cool thing to do. Um, I actually. So how do you how do you even go about how do you even go about building? I mean, assuming well, it's it's a fairly complex thing, otherwise more people would be doing it. Yeah, it, it, well, it, there's a reason it took two and a half years to to fail. Um, <laughs> there was so, but weirdly, I I managed to get into um, conversation with the with the bit the big boy networks simply by walking to the shops. So I was walking around with all the telco shops in Aberdeen, just the mobile network shops, and popped into the um, the EE one, and the manager there, I was saying to him, look. Do you, know, do you know how you can start a mobile network? Uh, just as you do, as you do. Um, and this guy, he said... You, did you just go in and start talking to him? Yeah. Did you, I was, did you buy a contract? You just, you just went in was, and like, look, mate, I just yeah. want to get some advice. Yeah, I, I, just having the, the naivety of, of, of youth, I guess. I was kind of like, okay, well, they'll know. Um, and actually, he knew the head of wholesale at EE. So um, completely random. Uh, manager up in Aberdeen knew the head of wholesale at EE. So he hooked me up um, and... I think about a week or so later, I had a phone call with with that with the guy and um, started evolving and, and learning. So yeah, that I was... love that. I love that. I'm going to drill into that a little bit, Hamish, because I think that's something that people should really know about that that graft of just going in and speaking to people. Like just yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I mean, what's that amazing um, uh, proverb? Um, he who asks is a fool for a second. He who never asks is a fool for life. Yeah, so like, there's no damage. Just go in there, just ask him. Like if that guy had said to you, nah, do you know what? Get out, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, about you. You just go into the next shop and you just keep grafting, right? I love that. So you met with, and we say wholesale. I don't know what that means. Um, so in, uh, in 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 telco, in mobile networks, you have the, the mobile networks. So EE, Vodafone, O2, and 3. They sell off to the consumers, but then they've got a sub-brand where they call, um, I need to remember what they're called now, MVNAs, I think, or MVNAs. They're the, the, the entities who sell the data and the bandwidth to MVNOs. So mobile virtual network operators, they are like what we were, what GifGaf, uh, Voxy, Virgin, all those ones, they don't oh, actually okay. own it. Yeah, yeah, and sure. So they sell wholesale data and minutes and text to to those. Got um, it. Got it. So you buy a bulk of it and then you go and sell it on at a lower price or whatever. Or at yeah. So price. yeah. So you you buy a, a, mil- a million gigs or a million minutes and then you sell it on at, at what you at what you're wanting. That seems quite capital intensive. How were you paying for that? One of the reasons it took so long was we tried trying to set up a, a whole new way that the. the funds would flow and 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 that we'd actually pay pay for it so we got it it took us about a year and a half to get the contract sorted with them um and then just about a month before we launched ee decided to pull the rug out from under us and launched a near identical proposition so our whole no our whole thing so what was... was that you oh. could trade a spare data so if you had a spare gig you'd be able to sell it to a friend and get your contract down to effectively free uh, and a month before launch the EE, they launched a, a platform where you could trade your spare data with friends and family. And it's kind of like, okay, well, that's fun. Um, but Mate, that it was, I mean, it was, it was a hell of a lot of learning. And actually that also led into what we're doing, what we're doing now with, with Trillo. Um, so it was painful, but um, I'm, I'm quite glad because I think, frankly, the, the fintech space and what, where we are now is, is so fun and, and there's so much more you can do here. So wait, so wait, okay. So that, so basically you got some, Dave obviously liked your idea. Someone's spoken about it internally. They've taken it. EE have gone and smashed you out of the pan. You decided, right, okay, let's hang up our gloves. What was the name of the company? That was Twigged. So twigged. Yes. You love the twig. Yeah. So, for, some, for some reason, starting two, two businesses with the same first letter is not a good idea. I've mixed it up sometimes in conversations. There you go. Okay. So you, um, okay. So you've, um, so you left there, you, um, and you were like, so you, did you graduate by this point? So, uh, yeah, so I, I graduated and then I was working on twig for another year. Uh, and then, so I, I, I wound that up at the start of 2018. Um, and one of the things, the thing that we learned there as well, as well as the fun bit with EE, was that we were just being obliterated by the the card fees there because we were paying um, sixty eight percent of our margin just gone. How much? Sixty eight. So telco. Sixty eight percent of your margin yeah. was going on card fees. Yeah. So so tel- telcos are really Jeez. wafer thin when you're in that that MVNO space, and I just I did not understand where that money was going. Um, I at that point I had no idea about payments and, and none whatsoever. And I just remember staring at the, the spreadsheets and just kind of scratching my head for days and then just trying to figure it out, speaking to guys at GoCardless and all these other ones to try and find a, be- a better alternative. Um, but yeah, so that, that kind of was one of the bits that led me on to, to what we're up to. Right, okay, so you've come in. So you saw that pain. So you saw, that's interesting, because you felt the pain not as a consumer, but ah. you felt it as, as 
Well, then, oh. then, so then after that, I went out to the US and worked on the West Coast with a startup in LA. Um, I had some very cool stories from there. Um, but in, in out there, I don't know if you've been out the US, but it's all swipe and sign. They don't do thin. And so I think in the first yeah, month, yeah, I had like four, four attempt, uh, fraud attempts on my card and just from shopping. And I was like, ah, why is what? this? Um, so, it's so mad. Yeah. It's mad, isn't it? It is mad. It's such a crazy space for that. Yeah, cause, yeah. So okay, so you went out. You went out. To, so you left there. You got the you got the startup bug. What is it about? What is it about startups that got you hooked? By the way, because I'm always interested to understand this. Because if someone's sitting there right now and you're a student and you're listening to this, and you're like, yeah, 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 I'm thinking about starting a business. And obviously, someone like yourself giving them a lot of confidence because you went and tried to do it, didn't work out, but you still went for it. What was it about? It, that made you so attracted to it? Was it, you know, are you, were you financially motivated, which is absolutely fine. I don't, I think it's okay to be doing something for money. Is it because you wanted to build something? Is that what it was? Or was it just like, you didn't want a boss? I or think, what was it? I think for me, I just love the idea that the concept that you can truly do something that can change everything that can change people's lives, the way they live, whether that's as a mobile network, whether it is payments, whether it is finding a job, all, all of these aspects, you you have that ability to build something that is so cool and can really give people so much more help and, and control. Um, but also on, on my side, I love product. I love building and designing and, and, and figuring out how something can work. Um, I also love sales. And I think in the startup world, you just have so many hats that you can do all different things. Um, there are definitely certain aspects of, of this that I'm not as big a fan of. Um, and it, that, that's something that as you build out the team, it's nice being able to get people who really enjoy those aspects and are so much better than myself. Because one thing that you do realize as you're doing this is that you are useless. Uh, you, there are people that are so much better than you in every shape or form, and you want to bring in those people around you to do the best that you can. Um, and so that's where you can start off, and then, and then as you go, you see these other aspects where you can bring people into and, and really build out such an awesome uh, awesome team to do something pretty damn cool. I'm totally in on that. I'm developing this philosophy at the moment where I say, um, you know, if I'm not the most incompetent person in my business, I'm hiring the wrong people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think it's just like that's what you should be doing all the time. I love that. And I totally can relate to the addiction to just trying to build something that can change people's lives. And so you've gone out there. So you felt this. You had this fraud. You were working for a startup. What kind of startup were you working for in the states? A company called Micro. Um, so you might come from Midnight Runners here in the UK. It's a, a, a running app. So you go out, find people to go for a run with on the on the beach, on the on the Thames. Um, and when we joined, they the founders of that had founded My, uh, Midnight Runners. So they brought with them that that kind of band of users, and then we were we were working on that to launch it out in the US and really build up the presence of of that platform. And it was really good fun. I mean, I think I probably got almost as fit as I've ever been in my life. We were running almost every day um, along the beach. The first day that I got out to the US, horrible thing to be doing. We out in um, San Fran, LA, LA. So I was in in LA and went up to San Francisco a few times, uh, and it was pretty. Pretty cool. The, 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 the first day I, I landed in LA, we had the startup houses just on the beach. And I remember I went down, I went down to the beach to go surfing with the guys on that first evening and out on the boards, on the waves as the sun set. And I was like, yes, come on. You're like, 
that this is this is the startup life I'm looking for. Well, yeah, yeah. What happened? No, it didn't work out, or you just decided you want to come back, run out of visa. What the the whole time that I was out there in the evenings, I was trying to figure out uh, payments. I was trying to figure that out. So uh, a friend of, of mine, um, Rob Knox, up in up in Edinburgh, he was. I was just kind of constantly pinging him to try and learn more and more about payments because he'd set up a whole um, EFOS piece up there, which was then acquired by Isefon. So he knew a lot about that space. Yeah, great. Purely, every evening, just on on the what was then called project aether i think i called it uh which evolved into into trillo um and so i just thought okay well let's come back and actually put some serious time into trillo see what we can do and get, and get that moving i love it mate. i love that i love that okay and so what was it about so tell me tell me the problem that you saw because i believe every every startup starts with one of two quest phrases um and it's like wouldn't it be better if or wouldn't it be cool if like i'm a hundred percent that wouldn't it be cool if I could play my mates for money at um, FIFA, right? That's my that's where my business came from. But you, were, I'm assuming, like, wouldn't it be better if X? What was it? What was the the threat? What did you say to yourself? Well, so I I've always known I I'm I'm from the countryside and one of the um, local towns there. All the businesses on the high street they they really don't like taking cards because it just costs them a fortune. And I just I, and from my time with with Twigged, I really realised how expensive that was, and I, I just found it so crazy how businesses no matter their size they have to pay such a massive fortune of what they earn in those in in those fees to, to card schemes to the biggest duopoly in the world basically and i thought okay well this, it would be so amazing if they could unlock all of that revenue that they have and invest it in themselves and invest it in their customers and just change that whole way but also that for us as consumers that we didn't have to carry around a wallet and that we didn't have to risk that fraud whenever we whenever we have our card number and and, and all of that malarkey mm. So I guess I guess wouldn't it be amazing if businesses didn't have to lose uh, fee, fee, lose money on fees and that consumers didn't have fraud and have to have a wallet on, on in their pocket? Amazing, I like that. In the current climate, marketing is hard, but do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast, and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. Okay, so let's talk about the two sides to this just really quickly because I'm quite into this. As as a business owner who pays card fees <laughs> and they take a significant portion of my fees, how, how do you do that? How do you go about changing something so significant? Like you said, it's the biggest duopoly in the world, right? Okay, yeah. MasterCard and Visa. And if anyone who's listening who doesn't know, like essentially what happens is every time anyone makes a payment through an app or through whatever, you have to give money to a payment gateway and you have to give it to what's called a card acquirer and that is principally like they they just take a cut of your fees essentially so if i put in 10 bucks it's typically anywhere between i don't know i don't know one and a half to three and a half percent yeah right is that about fair yeah about that yeah all right okay okay that's pretty much what it is that can become crippling if your if your margin is 10 percent yeah yeah that can be 35 percent of your margin that's a lot of money yeah so how do you go about changing something which is so systematically it's just in everything we do that's 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 a crazy thing we're we're, we're so intertwined into that piece because they i mean cards have been around with us since what i find brilliant we we all use phones in our everyday life which are more powerful than the rocket that took us to the moon the computer on the rocket that took yeah. us to the moon yeah, but sure. every day we use a bits of plastic which were invented before we even went there those bits of plastic are over half a century old 
What? Yeah, yeah. Okay, contactless, that, that's new, but actually the, the fundamental core workings and all that infrastructure behind it, it's just been evolving on that. And that's what wow. for us. So there's new, a new set of regulations that came out um, la- last year and, and, and has been working for a while called open banking, which quite a few people have been hearing about out here and there. And when I got back from the US, I stumbled across that, having no idea about it. <laughs> Realised that with this, with this, you have the ability to build something that is so different and so game changing because there are no middlemen there. Whenever you make a payment with Trillo using open banking, the money goes straight from your account directly to that business. There's no acquirer, no card scheme, payment service provider, payment gateway, any of these middlemen. And because of that, first that business, they get their money in minutes. But also because there aren't those middlemen, we can do what you just said. We can, we can completely change the fundamental core workings of the space. And we can scrap transaction fees entirely so that no business, no matter their size, ever has to pay a single penny of those ever again. So, so wait, so, so, sorry, I'm yeah. just going to cut straight in there because this is blowing my mind. Right, okay, so open banking is European? Yep, uh, open banking okay. is UK, PSD2, which is the direct, the regulation is European. Okay, and it's the same, same thing? Effectively same thing, yeah. Okay. And so that, what is, put that in a nutshell for me for the listeners. So what is, what is open banking? So before open banking, your bank was a pot of gold that the, that the bank controlled what leprechauns could go in and move that money. With open banking, the bank is still the pot of gold, but you control what leprechauns can move that money. You are now the one okay. that is in charge of your money. Previously, your bank only allowed you to use your card and your bank transfers from within their platform to do anything. Now with open banking, you are the one that's in charge. You are the one that can choose who 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 sees your data, who uses your data, who uh, who who and how you can pay, and it just puts that control back in the customer's hands and completely changes the fundamental building blocks of the payment space. Incredible, incredible. Okay, so all right, so you've um, and what you've done is you've put a layer on there. With, with your products which allows people to do those transfers yeah okay and how and so, and so how do you as as you know so and how do you make money you just take a fee you take a fee but just a much smaller fee than they do we don't take any transaction fees we just charge a simple 20p per active customer per month to those, to those merchants so if you have a thousand users a thousand users betting with uh well not betting sorry if you have a thousand users on, on stakes the, that month then you just pay uh to 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 two hundred quid that month, they can be uh, they they can be putting putting money on that with their friends every day with any any limit, and there's no extra cost to to you. Um, and that's the same whether it's a small cafe, whether it's a, a supermarket or a petrol station. Amazing. Okay, that's pretty cool. And so, all right. So you, how do you go about building this? So what did you do? So there, you founded the company. It's just it was just you. I'm assuming. Are you technical? And well, I mean, what did you? How did you go about that? can read i can't write i i would have loved to kind of so something that we can touch on later like a lesson learned is that i'd have loved to be able to kind of really delve into that um the whole of 2019 i spent living i, I was on about four pounds a day for that whole that whole year which was pretty fun um and wow. just just really figuring out networking like crazy trying to speak to everyone and any, anyone i could to, to just learn and, and and learn startup experience learn payments experience learn business experience and just all these different aspects um and then had the model figured out by the end of 2019 and that's when we raised our, our first kind of small bit of small bit of funding 
and that's when we started building the team around around us. So we brought brought uh, Tobin in, who's our CTO, and then started really building out the platform to to where we are now. So 2019 was figuring out figuring it out. 2020 has been building it, and now we're launching it. So how did you go about um, raising the first bit of money? Right. So <laughs> that's the stuff I yeah I, I yeah everyone who listens to the show knows it gets me super excited. So you. When you got your first check written, who did your first check come from? What did you have at that point, which meant that they were willing to invest? Other than just your charisma. Yeah. That, that, that first year, the 2019 was bloody hard. Um, and that, that was when we were kind of just going out and just speaking to a lot of different people. The, the people who actually ended up investing, I've been speaking with for a long time. There is one... Um, me checking my coat in at a coat check did net me 40 grand, which is quite nice. Don't, don't stop with that. Come on. <laughs> well, as a guy whose first check came from a coffee shop, um, tell me how that happened. Well, so we were at a, we were at an, a conference at, at the start of COVID actually in, in Germany. And I was just, we, it was absolutely pissing it down outside. And we went in and we were just in the, in the queue for the, for the coat check. And we were just joking with it, with, the, with this random guy um, just next to me about, oh, Awful weather, really good old British, good old British banker, um, and just then got talking, talking about Trillo. Uh, we then ended up having a coffee for about two or three, two or three hours that afternoon. Then went and met met him a few times in London. Met another one of his um, kind of co co angels, um, and then they they joined that they joined that round back at the at the start of COVID. Um, but amazing, was, I love that. I love that. I love if that. if it wasn't raining sure. that day. I would not, we would not, not have got them on board. So I have to, I have to thank the weather. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's a cool story. Okay. So you, so at that, at that point, what did you have? You just had an idea. We had the idea. We had a few, a few partners who were wanting to use us once we were ready. So we probably had, at that point, we had five businesses. So startups who were wanting to use the model that we had conceived of. We didn't have the tech there. Um, I got all the FCA authorization ready to go. We weren't authorized, but we knew what we were doing. We knew where we were going and we had an inkling of what we were actually going to build. So at that point, it was much more people investing in the concept and, and, and the idea and, and, and the drive. So how did you choose the timing there? How do you choose it was the right time to, to raise the money? Because, you know, like um, self-funding is... It's fucking hard. Mm-hmm. Like the, the truth of it is, like it's really hard, and yeah, not everyone is in a position to self fund, right? So there is a there is a specific need that some people have. Like I can't afford to leave. Yeah. I've got to go and raise some money, right? That's the reality, and that's cool. I'm fine with that. I think you know, if someone comes to me for an angel check and they're like, "Look, you know, I'm I'm going to have to go back to my day job because I can't afford yeah. to do this anymore." So I'm trying to raise a bit of money to keep yeah to grow the product, but also keep people employed. I'm like, fine, good. I don't need to stop. But how did you choose? How do you choose? the time for you guys because you know there's a question around valuations as well yeah. because the earlier you do it the lower the valuation the more you've got to give away the later you do it you know you might have run out of money you can't afford yeah. to do it anymore how do you how, how do you choose the right time to do it so i think i've always gone way too early i've always decided to kind of go too early when i'm trying trying to go for too much money at that what we've got and and, and that always just makes it drag on so much longer and if there's a lesson that I'd have learned, it would be just to hold hold your time for a bit, wait until you've actually got something properly there, and then go for it. So for that previous round, that would have been uh, to actually have everything everything lined up and ready to kind of flick the switch for when we get the funding and it can just go straight away. For the, for for what for what we're doing now, it would be that we're actually launching, which is what we're doing now. Um, I think 
going too early is it, it, going there too early is really it, it is very hard because when you got to a certain stage it does get a whole load easier yeah it does um yeah yeah it's uh it's amazing it took me nine months to do my first half a million and it took me two weeks to do my two million you know like it's just like it's nuts so what and when you were going around raising the money two questions i've got for you here because um you're fresh and you can still you have some clarity of reality which a lot of people lose the further away they've been from the round um what is what do people care about like when you were speaking to these investors like not the you know what were they buying into? What were they asking you the most about? What do you think was it? At this stage, it's very much about the team. It's very much about the people. It's whether we've got the, the gumption and, and the drive to do this for the next five, ten years. Um, mm. I think that, that five, ten years, that's also very interesting because you get some investors who just come in and they, one of the first things they say is, so what's your exit strategy? Those ones, yeah. just that, ah, bye, thanks. All right, see ya. And, and yeah. that's and that's where you can start really seeing those investors who are in it for the dream and for really doing something different and really shaping the space, getting rid of that duopoly, versus who are just in it for the money. I mean, all investors they tend to be in it for money, but you do get you do get those who are dreamers and that can really do that oomph. And that's where I've really noticed a different a differentiator between the American mindset and and the UK mindset and those in the UK who are becoming much more progressive and much more kind of try trying to challenge it i love that a lot yeah i mean it's it's it is definitely noticeable when you have those who are are there for that kind of that journey and how did you how did you find those people to put, to put it in perspective we I, I started speaking to people and having coffees that's something this year i imagine if you're starting out would have been a lot harder because last year it was just coffees 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 so you were able to meet so many people uh this year i imagine it's probably trickier because it's zoom but then you can meet more people with zoom so i guess it's different yeah I, you can do you can do six pictures in a day that's the thing yeah. it's it's so you can you i mean yeah. you do stay stapled to your chair but it is it is easier um yeah. and so i think it's just we start, started meeting people in January, uh, January in 2019, and we got the first commitments in November. So it took all that time to kind of get those first people at the line to show, to, to get to know them. Because if you're, do, if you're doing this, investors, they need, they need to get to know you because you're in it for the long run. It's not just that they give you the money and then they say bye. Well, there are some that do that, but you want investors who they put, they put the money and then they're part of it and they're part of that journey. And so it takes a few months to kind of warm that up. Um, and then we finally got it all sorted just before Christmas last year, actually around around this time. Yeah, it it it, it was it was quite quite the long quite the long while to get that sorted. It's it's hard work, and I can imagine obviously like trying to get anything FCA regulated. I bet people are a bit like, yeah, come back when you're regulated. Yeah, come back when that's sorted because I don't because that might be an issue for me. Yeah, that kind of stuff. That was one of the main things with that round. It was oh, but you're not FCA regulated. Oh, you're not got FCA authorization, mm. which is. I mean, we, we somehow, we managed to, we, we had an incredible case officer at the FCA and what everyone, everyone else was saying, oh, it would take you six to six to eight months to get it authorized. Somehow we got it sorted in three, which is the, the minimum requirement, the minimum amount it should, it should go with them. Um, Amazing. Yeah. So, so we, we, we had that sorted, but that FCA authorization was a, a big thorn there in that first, that first, that first round. Yeah, I bet it was. And I bet it's also like, it's, it's just a, it's something that people just need you to have before they'll yeah. let you do anything. Okay, great. Okay, look. And so now, where are you now? What's happening now? Tell me about it. So you're, you're how many people? 
So we've now got four people in the in the team full on, and then we've also got another chap helping us out on the side. So we've got myself, then Tobin, who's our, our CTO, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Johannes, who's our senior engineer working alongside Tobes, and then Usman is our head of legal and compliance. Uh, so he's been with us from pretty much the the, the, the start as well, because obviously being authorised, we need to actually have all of that uh, that there. Yeah. And Usman, he's he was at Revolut and then Oval, so he's got a pretty decent um, decent chunk of, of work there. Record. And are you um, are you distributed or are you in London? Yeah, so we are we are all in London. Uh, we obviously we're working from home um, here and there. We're in the off- in the in the office kind of. I, I try and go in like three times a week and then the, guy, the rest of the guys they come in here and there we're going to be looking forward to in the, in, in the new year set, get, getting a, a bit more substantial office in, in near Waterloo that we can properly set up and make uh make thriller like what you like like what you've done have a life yeah where you can actually integrate with people yeah exactly right okay okay so we just get into the bit of the show now where i ask you a couple of questions um which i ask everyone so the first question is what was the what was the biggest fuck up that you had? You know that you key lesson learned that you wish you'd done differently over the course of the first you know two years that you guys been about. So of Trillo, it would have been probably it would have been just going out to investors too early and making a bit of an idiot of myself because um, that first impression really does, does matter. I remember there was a certain uh, a certain big um, VC they got in touch with me at the very start of COVID, just after we did our first round, um, and. I was like, oh, yes, this is brilliant. We can speak with them. This is great. This is great. And that first conversation, we were still building. We still didn't really have any customers signed on or, or any of that. And that just, that then kind of soured that whole piece. Um, another piece, actually, for the internal side, I would say on the product, trying to be a bit too ambitious on timings for the product. You need to really set the right timescales for when you're building stuff. Um, we've now, now that we've been doing it for, we've been building for nine, ten months. We now know kind of how long that certain aspects take us. But that first kind of three, four months that, that we were going through, maybe even six months, we were just, we were trying to say, okay, we're going to do, we're going to build the world in a week, and that doesn't work. Um, so yeah, that the, the timing piece, I'd probably say both on the investor, but ma- mainly on the product side, um, is is a is a tricky one. It's good. No, they're good. They're good. They're good lessons to learn. And what's the uh, what's the your one single piece of advice you give to every founder? You say, look, this is. This is what you got to do. I mean, if it's not too late, I would have not gone to university and I'd have gone to start join a startup as as an intern, just just start starting from the ground up and learning from the inside. Because, I mean, the university piece that's really cool. That's very that's very fun. And depending on the university, you could actually kind of get something very cool out of it. But being in the company, being in a startup, finding out about, about the founders' journeys, connecting with their investors, connecting with the network, and learning then. You'll then have to be able to find co-founders to to start a new business. For me, it's always been quite tricky because both of my businesses I've been the sole the sole founder of, and so th- this one I knew a bit I knew a bit more about it, but I still needed to find Tobin for the kind of technical side and, and build out of that initial team. If you come from an existing business, you have people in there that you can move out with and and and, and start start off with to get going. And I think that if you're <clears throat> if you've not yet got an idea and you're looking for something. Go and join an, an early stage business, business, probably around product market fit. So kind of seed, late, late, late seed, very early series A. Uh, so you can kind of really get those inner workings so that you're still doing everything. But you can also meet a few other people that in a year you can say, hey, guys, let's let's jump ship, start something of our own. You might then be able to get that that founder from that previous business investing in you, giving you support, giving you their network 
which is even more powerful. It's really good advice. All right, Hamish, it's been fantastic. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on the show. I wish you every luck. What's uh, what's next for you? Are you doing a seed round or what's happening next? Just yesterday, we launched and plugged in with our first uh, point of sale partner. So our first kind of shop. Um, Amazing. We've been, everything we've been doing has been online with online businesses. So through the API. And just yesterday, we, we plugged in with the first um, offline business, which is pretty cool. So that is the first ever uh, POS payment with Trillo and the first ever POS payment with Open Banking as well, which is pretty damn awesome. That's um, awesome. I think this is the first bit of um, material that will actually also have that on it. So, yeah, so uh, that was that. And we're going to be in, in 21, we're going to be rolling out more POS um, kind of offline places and plugging into more online uh, startups and, and, and websites. So. 2021 is, is going to be busy, and then we've also obviously got the good old fund, funding rounds, um, which seem to be unending. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's getting fun. It's getting fun. Fantastic. All right. Well, look, Hamish, it's an amazing idea. I'll almost certainly become a customer. Great stuff. And look, uh, best of luck.